Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Hey, good evening, everyone. It's CJ. Hopefully, everyone has a is having a fantastic evening. It is Friday, October the seventh, and this uh, live stream that I'm uh, doing right now is in part of a, a global event that's taking place uh, now overnight in certain parts of the world, the globe, until tomorrow on Saturday. And what this relates to is Julian Assange. Many of you are very well of the situation occurring with Julian, his incarceration with unjust. The, we, we've discussed this here numerous times, what's happened with Julian. And I've been trying to connect. It's been difficult because there's a few different time zones that we're working through logistically. So, um, I, I, you know, I really tried to get a, a couple of guests on here to uh, discuss more in detail in regards to the events that are taking place. But in particular, I did receive an email link to one of the protests. It's called The Human Chain. Uh, the Human Chain for uh, Julian Assange. And I, I think why this should resonate, resonate with a lot of people is because it relates to speaking the truth. The truth in regards to what has happened in regards to numerous aspects of intervention policies in regards to uh, the lack of transparency that's occurred to the surveillance states that occurred here in the United States. So one of my good friends, um, virtual good friends, I should say, uh, sent me a link to the uh, Alex Hills, sent me a link to the protest and the video. It's um, it, There's a little bit of lag in the video. So full disclosure, there's a little bit of lag. So like literally within the next 24 hours, what's happening between today and tomorrow, a human chain is forming around the uh, incarceration area of Julian Assange. And around the globe, many other people are doing events in their states, in their country, to protest what is happen happening to Julian Assange. I don't think words does justice into regards to 
the criminality of what's occurring to Julian. It's truly inhumane. I've often asked myself what things could I do individually to to help in this situation, whether it's, you know, going on a, on a, on a hunger strike and or, you know, the, you know, the most severe. But when you think about what's taking place with Julian and the information that he has put forth into the social stream has led to a massive awakening of people truly understanding of how the military industrial complex, the intelligence offices have corrupted nearly every bit of the information that we receive through social media platforms, whether that be Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is, they control the information. They control the data that leads to not only people being led into believe and to support the efforts and the ide ideologies, what's led forth by those, but also counter to that is if there's any anti-war, any anti-peace, you know, or anti-war pro-peace movement, they're, they're shut down. They're not allowed to have a voice to counter the efforts put forth by the intelligence agencies and the corruption of most of, of mainstream media. So therefore we feel that there's nothing happening. We feel the people, there's no longer a anti-war party in the United States. The neoliberals, the neocons have walked hand in hand the past several years to fund intervention policies, to fund these endless wars that are taking place across the globe, whether it's the Middle East, whether it's Europe, most recently with Ukraine, there's no oversight policies that have asked a fundamental question, why are we doing this? And Julian Assange was one of those persons who provided a, a platform with WikiLeaks, provided a platform for people to feel comfortable to upload data, to upload content, to disperse that information so that people can take a look at it for their own eyes, whether it's cables, whether it's uh, video, multitude of different uh, information that WikiLeaks has shared that has exposed the criminality of what's happening within the government agencies. To me as an individual, I've said this numerous times, there will never be a healing process until we understand the truth the truth of what happened that infamous day with JFK. The truth of what happened and what Julian is exposing with the military industrial complex. So there's so many people that I should be thanking right now because I'm amazed. I, I open my Twitter feed and I see so many, not hundreds, but thousands. It, you know, people who are really trying to be up, you know, really put forth an effort to free Julian as a journalist. There's no crimes that he's ever committed. What disheartens me as an American, as a U.S. citizen, is that it this 
effort to bring Julian Assange to any type of the, what they're saying trial. There's not going to be a trial. There, it, it's not going to exist. They're basically wanting to bring Julian to the United States so that he dies. Okay, that's what it amounts to. And who's leading this effort? And I hate to refer to them anymore going forward as the U.S. government because I'm a U.S. citizen. However, on the federal side of it, they no longer represent you or I or any of the friends that we have in our communities. What our government represents strictly is, is special interests, corporations, and the military-industrial complex who lines themselves not only in the profits that they receive, but also what the politicians receive as well. And it it's so disheartening. And I've never have ever been so clear to really justify any type of ends to the means where we say, how do we disrupt this? How do we break this vehicle? How do we change this pattern of corruption that exists within the federal government of Washington, D.C.? Because an American, I'll tell you this. As an American, the government that's established in Washington, D.C. no longer represents of who I am as an individual. Either they change the course of who they are in Washington, D.C., or I change the course of who I am as a representative person here in the United States. Because I can no longer feel pride of what Washington, D.C. has established of the policies and procedures that they put forth. And I think there's many of you who are listening right now who probably feel the exact same way. And we can no longer be the silent majority. The time for that is over. Like if it, you know, if you have any love, if you have any care for your, 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 yourself, for your children, you know, for your grandchildren, now is the time to activate. Now is the time to get involved socially, politically, within your own community, and then also look to try to make an impact. I just, I just can't state that enough. I think it's just that imperative. So the video I'm the, that I'm getting ready to play is from Wellington, and it's one of the uh, uh, surround parliament that's occurring around the globe tomorrow here on Saturday. There's going to be one here in the United States, you know, Washington, DC. Um, the video in itself, you get, you have to remember they were operating on, on Wi-Fi, So therefore it wasn't the best connection, but I think again, into helping my friends who are doing everything that they can to free Julian Assange. I have to support that. It's not even a question. So I'm going to bring this video in right now. Um, this is the the video. Again, um, you keep in mind that this is on on a Wi-Fi, so the 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 connection, the video is 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 not the best. But I want everyone to listen to this because my friends have been working diligently um, night and day the past couple of weeks, and they reached out to me yesterday. And I really wanted to cover this live, but because my the time difference between where I am in the United States and where they are, it I I didn't realize the significance of the difference. That's my shortfall. 
but I will do everything and I can to help promote this. Thank you, Annie. Annie, welcome to the stream. Uh, Camaro, welcome to the stream. Thank you guys for being here. So let's play this video. So again, this is a global event that's taking place in real time between now and, and leading in tomorrow into Washington, D.C., an effort to draw, draw awareness in regards to the efforts that we need to really move forward in freeing Julian Assange. Because keep this in mind, truth will always be an enemy to the state. Truth will always be the enemy to the controllers who leverage the mainstream media and also leverage the tech oligarchs, Google, Facebook, which owns, by the way, uh, Instagram. I think there's one other thing that they own. But needless to say, they're manipulating you. You're the, They're manipulating your mind. So here's this video. So let's play this. So I want to thank um, Alex uh, Hills for, for sending me this. And this is the protest. Again, I want to apologize. The video content is... Uh, a little bit of, of, of lag, and it's strictly due to due to the fact that we're in a public area on a Wi-Fi. And so let's play this. Here we go. Everything is going 
against them to try and achieve this. And I think it is, I mean, the world's first. Um, we actually have someone here, May. Where are you, May? There she is, who organised uh, another Surround Parliament um, New Zealand event for uh, anti-nuclear, anti-war. Um, so we actually have an experienced veteran activist. Um, anyway, uh, a lot of people, particularly, I have to say, in the freedom movement have assumed Assange is a CIA agent, and of course we know all the Hillary lefties think that he was a Russian spy because they might have listened to Russia game. We know that he's been trashed as a as a rapist. We know we know all the false allegations. Uh, the Greens, we well, as you might know, in 2018 we um, got a petition, an emergency petition, Greg and I, um, and we managed to get about 2,400 signatures. It was in Bloomberg, RT. Uh, Reuters, it was everywhere around the world, kind of taking the piss out of New Zealand offering asylum, you know, kind of actually, they did it in a bad light, but actually got so much coverage, it was great. Um, the, 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 the petition was tabled to Parliament, we got it in the door, all we wanted them to say is, basically all we wanted them to do is not sit on the fence and tell us, do they support the idea of discussing asylum for Assange or do they not? We only wanted them to talk about it, not to do it, because it was obviously a very difficult thing given he was in the embassy. Um, unfortunately, they said they had no jurisdiction, which is, I don't think, true. You can offer asylum to someone, you know, I know that he wasn't on, on New Zealand soil and that might have been a legal issue, but hey, uh, they wouldn't even talk about it.
he, he sort of blew the whistle on something that he'd never talked about before. He was saying, how do we explain to the elites that they can't secure themselves against this risk? And it was only a five, it was the very last five minutes of the video. But if you watch that, you're in no doubt that that seems the most plausible reason why he was silenced very shortly afterwards and kidnapped from the embassy months later. That's what I believe anyway. The story out in the ether is that it's Catalonia, and I believe that to be false. So just saying. Um, I would like to end my speech, and I would like anyone else who wants to to come up and talk. It's kind of like an open mic. Uh, eventually, uh, when we feel like we've got the most people and before anyone disappears off, we'll have to just get a photo here along the line, just, you know, holding hands with your ribbons on and stuff so that we can show our New Zealand effort with the beehive in the background. Um, anyone else who wants to talk now? I'm actually going live with the broken news, so I might be busy. Um, but right now I'm going to try. I don't know if the wind is going to get me, so I'll try.
London proceedings tonight at Consortium News, they advertised that they will have a live uh, transmission from London. So oh, yes. <laughs> It okay. starts at 1 p.m. London time, so 1 a.m., 2 a.m. 1 a.m. Or you can see a recording. Okay. okay. Would anyone else like to talk? Yes, come on, Francis. I make notes on my training, yeah? <laughs> and anyway, I think nowadays why we see not terribly many people here, we know, because a lot of young people, a lot of people, it has been going on for years. And a lot of people say, what's the relevance to New Zealand? They are so, he's so far away and that happened so long ago. But it is actually very relevant to us. Just to look at what this government has been doing
And how are we going to fight this? We have to do it individually, every one of us. We have to tell, our, tell the truth to as many as, pos as possible. And, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, and that's another thing we have to, a lot of anything. We have to be really worried when this happens. When the party, which is the government right now, who committed all the crimes they accuse us of misinformation, they lie and they accuse us of doing that, and the whole other things they accuse of, of us of, like we are the fascist. Yeah. And uh, when they are doing that, they are the one we should be worried. When our prime minister speaking of kindness all the time, but she acts cruelty and inhuman. A lot of things she does is so bad. When she encourage the divide and the district and the uh, uh, what's the word division division. Yeah, division and the uh, and, and the and <laughs> all the other I forgot discrimination discrimination and that and when so many just and even worse is more worrying when so many just comply and they just well accept it and conform and they just trust whatever they hear from the tv mainstream media and when people with independent minds like us we have a different opinion or we have opposite opinion but based on a lot of truth and the real science and the facts but we got ignored no no i'm not <laughs> <laughs> and we got punished so people like us got punished and uh, if you prepare just lie down and take it, you are good citizen. We are going to tell you what to do and don't make sure you do not think for yourself. That's not right. That's very, very worrying. All this social media blocking and the, and I think we all know that a whole lot of them, the social media or just, and the freedom of speech and the, uh, Sorry, I was, uh, and another thing we have to be very, very worried. And when the big farmers, pharma com pharmacy, pharma company, big farmers and the big tech, big giant tech company, they are become the one make biggest profits to our country and in this world. And even more worrying when our government, our prime minister become their top salespeople and uh, how can we let that happen if we let us you see they could they keep promoting they spend millions promoting and then on the other hand they they create such a country now so depressed and so mentally ill a whole lot of people mentally ill people and they can still sell more drugs farmers steal profits from that either way you either get jabs or you get antidepressant. We make huge money out of it. I think so many, we all know, so many have died before us in the last hundreds of years for our freedom and rights. 
But look at how this government, without hesitation, thinks they could just take it away, all away from us, our freedom and rights. And we have been enjoying it in the last, I don't know, centuries. But they just took it away without hesitation. And a whole lot of people let them do that. And imagine, how do you get them back when you just let them have it? It took hundreds of years to get all those freedom and rights, get our democracy established and running well, and you let them just ruin it in a year or less. And it's going to be so, so difficult to get it back. Our children, some children are going to be born without knowing that we never have all this freedom and rights. Just like some Chinese But we are different. We have had a different life. We have had all the freedom and rights for so long. We can't let our country become like China. We don't want to be like China. Actually, if possible, we want them to become like us. Right? Hopefully. <laughs> Okay, I'm trying to finish very soon. <laughs> so, what, what I say is that, yeah, I'm so worried all the time, but we really have to try to do whatever we can, any way, every way we can, to tell the truth in whatever way. If the social media doesn't work very well, we do that, of course, uh, mouth. You have to let it, many people know, as many people know as possible, to know the truth and to know, and we have to defend, we have to protect, we have to encourage freedom of speech, free speech, and what's that, another thing? Of course, freedom, uh, freedom of speech and the whistleblower. When all country, every one of us, become whistleblower can they stop us yeah. no so everybody has responsibility we need to tell those people working in the government working in the public sector working in wherever they are say you have the duty for others and for the future generation you can be the whistleblower you can be the example let them not stop us Thank you. Thank you, Francis. Can you take this? Just take it. Can you take it? Oh, take okay. it. Uh, are you going to go? Greg, okay, cool. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. Can you, anybody? <laughs> I'm not very good with my, <laughs> with, <laughs> the, with things. Like oh, this. gosh. Hang on. Um, just following on from what the last speaker said, um, and I understand we're here about Julian Assange and the deplorable state of mainstream media reporting uh, in terms of what's told to us, what's not told to us, and what's only partially told to us, or what is told to us in a scramble that tries to make it like what it not, make it something other than what it is. And it's, it's a real problem, and it's no wonder we do not have a well-informed democracy given the level of journalism in New Zealand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so Francie identified a number of things that have come to light in the last couple of years, and I've done two things about it, or I've done one thing, and I'm on the case about another. And one is, is I've 
I moved the petition into the parliament, which been, uh, uh, was sponsored by David Seymour of that party, and it's before the petitions committee, and there's been a whole lot of paperwork put into it, and it's coming to an end. And that petition is to um, create an amendment to Section 5 of uh, the Bill of Rights of New Zealand. And the new amendment would say that uh, it had be Section 5A, so under Section 5 justified limits, a new Section 5A unjustified limits. So none of Sections 4, 5, or 6 provide any justified limits on the rights in sections 8, 9, 10 and 11. And those are, they're under a heading called the life and security of the person, the Bill of Rights. Section 8 is the right not to be deprived of life. Section 9 is the right not to be tortured. Section 10 is the right not to be involved in scientific or medical experiments Section 11 is the right to simple rights are in the Bill of Rights, but the government has used Section 5 right, to say that they can justifiably limit those rights in mandating their public constitution. Now, my petition is to say that never again can they do that, right, because there would be nothing, right, that would provide any justified limit on those four, those rights in section 8, 9, 10, and 11, right? The right not to be deprived of life, the right not to be tortured, the right not to uh, to be experimented upon, and the right to refuse medical treatment. So they've sought advice for, uh, in respect to the petition in my paper, and that they went to the Ministry of Justice, and the Ministry of Justice provided a four-page uh, response, piece of advice, and nothing in what they said, right, provides any impediment to Parliament adopting the petition that I, or the amendment that I'm proposing. So at some point in the near future, there will be a report produced by the, the Petitions Committee, and it would be then for someone in the Parliament to move something or do something about it. So, I mean, wait and see. But that is a mechanism that we could use in the Bill of Rights. I'm oh, sure they can hear me. <laughs> now they really hear me. <laughs> Yay! Um, I'm sure that that mechanism, even if the Parliament doesn't pick it up at this point in time, does provide a means to put a line in the sand in the Bill of Rights where they cannot go any further in terms of a person's bodily integrity. Right? And like it's quite clear that they're intending to use this technology platform for all sorts of so-called vaccinations and medical therapies because it's the new bonanza, right? So, I mean, aside from all the great reset agenda, there's this huge profit-making thing that's going on and it's just a huge experiment being rolled out on the public. Well, you'd reckon that he would like be able to bring all that out. 
and I wonder why there's not a big dump of material there. People are starting to leave unless we do the fire. Right, right, right. Yeah, can, yeah, we... The other thing that I've done... We've got to do the chain very soon. I'm going to be going to Canada. Yeah, anyway, so the other thing I'm initiating is a, a, a petition for a parliamentary inquiry into the whole matter, the COVID matter, so that's... Thank just you. Just by the way. Um, but definitely, if we had a proper press, if they told us the facts, not layered in lies and bullshit, we would be in a totally different world to the one that we currently exist in, and Julian Assange would definitely be a free man able to conduct his family life. Yeah. If only. Word. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Yeah, can we? Um, we've got to do the human chain in a bit, but you go on. If you want, you can speak after the human chain because I think some people want to go. Yeah, so can um, can, someone, can, can you just film for a second? Um, let's go around the statue. Is everyone want to? We'll just go and sit so we can all hold hands at one point, and when we're ready, we'll all Okay, here I am. <laughs> Is that all going still? Yep. Cool. Okay. Here you are. <laughs> um, I hope that's high resolution. I hope so. Okay. <laughs> so, um... You want it? Maybe come around a little If we come in a little bit on this side and join it all up. Can you hold Francis's hand? Hi, darling. Can I, um, just... Okay, so, oh, I'm doing a selfie. All right. So here we are. We've got this queue. I'm just going to go walk around because that's what Stella's going to do. Okay, there's going to be one more in it. I'm coming. Uh, um, oh, hang on. What's happening here? I think I'm back to front. Um, Free Assange! Free Assange! Free Assange! Can someone take over from me and do it again? Free Assange! Free Assange! Free Assange! Can you take it from it or someone? Can you do one round? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. And I want to be in it. Free Assange! Free Assange! Free Assange! Canada, which I missed, but anyway. <laughs> okay, I'm going to sign off now. How do I do that? Yeah, I'm just trying to just. To, I don't know. Hang on. Yeah, good, good on you, good on you. Does you do you know how to stop a live stream? Because I don't. No idea. Are you on YouTube or Facebook? Um, YouTube. Oh, I wouldn't know. Yeah. Oh, well, you're on three, Alex. Okay.
Okay. Well, I can saw... you see the screen? I can't even see. Yeah, yeah, I can. Welcome, everybody. It's great to see a big crowd here. Um, this is uh, we're excited today to welcome Jesse Ventura to authors at Google in Santa Monica. Uh, Jesse is a former Navy SEAL and professional wrestler, and I have to say I was lucky enough to see him wrestle live back in the day a few times. And uh, I loved it, and I especially used to love watching him as a commentator on television because he was always astute and funny. And he used to say he was the only commentator who told it like it is. And I have to say, he's still telling it like it is throughout his career. Um, he has gone on to become a well-known actor and TV personality, governor of Minnesota, visiting fellow at Harvard, Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, and a best-selling author. His best-selling books include Don't Start the Revolution Without Me and American Conspiracies. He's the host and executive producer of the TV series Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura. And today, he's going to be talking about his latest bestseller, 63 Documents the Government Doesn't Want You to Read. So please join me in welcoming Governor Jesse Ventura. Thank you. Great to be here. Uh, first, I'd like to state, uh, so you know a little about me, uh, I, well, beyond what the, the nice introduction, uh, I'm a throwback. Uh, <laughs> I'm computer illiterate. Not a good thing for you. Uh, and I have never owned a cell phone in my life, nor will I ever now. I've made it a life's mission. I think that if I survive maybe another 25, 20 years on this planet, I can put it on my gravestone and I'll be the only one who will be able to do that. He, I've already instructed my wife, if I go first, I want he never owned a cell phone put on it. because uh, and, and so I'm, I'm kind of a dinosaur, I guess. But... I enjoy it because uh, I'll tell a funny story first. I bought my dream car back in 2003, a <clears throat> twin turbo X50 Porsche, 450 horsepower, six speed that is so fast today, I've never floored it. And that's how fast it is. When, when you order a car like that, you have to get a slot number because they're made by hand in Germany. And when you get your slot number, you have to order what you want. And my car salesman, who I'd previously probably bought a half a dozen cars from through the years, because my wife and I, I enjoy Porsches and she likes Audis. And they're basically under the same roof. Uh, probably fifth or sixth car. And my, my salesman, Rob, is going through the list. And he didn't even ask. He just looked at me and said, and where would you like your cell phone? And I looked at him and I said, I don't want a cell phone. You would have thought I was ordering a car without tires. He gave me a look, unbelievable, but then I said, but you see that six CD player, the thing you can stack six CDs in? I said, that I want. Uh, the reason I don't want a cell phone in my car, my Porsche, is because, first of all, it's a manual transmission six-speed, which requires you to use both feet and both hands at the same time. So, therefore, you know, where's the cell phone going to fit in? And also because when I drive that car, um, it's the enjoyment of driving, not the enjoyment of talking on a phone. When I drive it, I want to drive it. And it's not California, it's not LA either. I can drive it and get it past 40. 
<clears throat> which I always laugh when I come out here and see all the exotic cars. They go, where the hell do they drive them? You know, and get past 40. You can't get past 40, but I got a Ferrari. You know, I mean, anyway, that aside. To the book. Um, the last book I wrote was called American Conspiracies, where we went down basically from Abraham Lincoln and moved forward and took the con- and, and talked about conspiracies and wrote about the conspiracies from the conspiracy side, basically. Naturally, I took a great deal of heat for it. It seems today that if you at all question your government's story, you're a conspiracy theorist, which means you believe in anything, you're out in left field and all this stuff and green men are coming from Mars and everything like that, which I think is highly unfair. So in light of that book, which was a bestseller, and by, by the way, I might add, conspiracy theory uh, spent seven weeks on the New York Times top 10 bestselling list and yet was not reviewed by one mainstream media in the United States of America, including the Times itself, that it was on their list top 10 for seven weeks. Why? Why, if not just to say the book's a piece of crap in the end? Why was it ignored, you know, a book like that? So Dick Russell, my co-writer, and I, we decided, well, let's take a different approach with this next book. Let's get it. Let's do a book that they can't put any blame on us for, for theories or what I might think. And so we chose, and this was before WikiLeaks. We started this project a two couple, three months before WikiLeaks even happened. And we said, let's do government documents. That way, the government documents speak for themselves and they're real. They exist. So this book has nothing to do with any type of theory, conspiracy theory. These are, every document is in this book is reproduced. We wanted to do that to where I just don't tell you about the documents and give you my opinion, which I do do, but uh, the doc, the documents are all reproduced in full. So you yourself can read them and judge for yourself what the document says. And we, uh, we tried to go basically through my lifetime, and I will be 60 this summer, so we go back that far, and we progress forward to the modern time, and we hit documents all the way along the way. All the documents are legal. We didn't break any laws. They're out there. Uh, we didn't break anything top secret or that hadn't been unclassified. They're all in the public domain. And I will tell you this. This book, to me, is terrifying. This book was not easy to write. I'm a six-year Navy veteran. I love my country. My, I, I have the rare privilege. My brother is a Vietnam veteran. I am a Vietnam veteran. And I have the rare privilege that not too many people can say my father was a World War II veteran and so was my mother. Not many people can say their mom was a World War II veteran. My, my father had... I think six or seven bronze battle stars in World War II in, uh, over in Europe. And my mother was a nurse in North Africa during World War II. And not too many people can say your mom is buried in a national cemetery. So uh, uh, th- that's why the book was difficult, because this book tried my patriotism, and it stretched it to thin, to a string. Because as I went through these documents and looked at the behavior of my country, it was appalling. It was shocking that we are involved in the things that we've been involved in over the last 50 years. 
In fact, I got chastised for bringing up a word that I find ironic. I guess you're not supposed to use. When you read this, what bothered me, and but I'll use it. I tell it like it is where we at. <laughs> um, I believe in many instances in this book, you can substitute the word Nazi and it works. There's behavior in this book that is as you'd expect it from the Nazis. But it isn't the Nazis, it's us. It's our country. Now, people say, what, you know, documents are secret. What right to who's got the damn cell phone? Shut that off. This is, cons consider this a green and a golf course. Oh, that's a hard line. Okay, I stand corrected. <laughs> anyway, um, these documents are appalling. And our behavior has been appalling in reading these documents of the things that my country has done. And yet, in most cases, no one has ever been prosecuted. No one has ever been tried for any of the stuff in the book. And that troubles me. Now, let me move forward quickly to uh, WikiLeaks for a moment, if I can. I think WikiLeaks is a hero because of the fact that... Um, Last year, in one year, our country declared top secret 16 million documents. 16 million documents that you and I are not allowed to see in one year. I had to figure that must be just about everything they do. Just about. Maybe I don't know how many documents they would have. But... I find it interesting that when I was in the military as a Navy SEAL, I had a top secret security clearance. It was required. And I've been a mayor and I've been a governor. Now I'm neither. I'm a citizen. At what point do I lose my top secret security clearance? How am I any different today than I was before when it comes to security? And yet, because I become a civilian or a citizen, now I'm not allowed to know things that I could know as a governor, that I could know as a SEAL. Yet I'm the same person. But I guess being a civilian puts you at the bottom of the food chain or a citizen of knowledge. And I think it's wrong. Now, the thing that uh, you'll see in the book that I dedicated the book to Congressman Ron Paul. And I did that because he was the only person in our Congress when WikiLeaks happened that stepped out on the floor of Congress and gave what I thought one of the greatest speeches I had heard when he stated unequivocally that WikiLeaks has killed no one. How many people have been killed from the lies, the false intelligence, and the deception we got to put us into the Iraq war? Also, the fact that um, I think what he said that was extremely important was uh, that in a free country like ours, when telling the truth, people accuse you of being a traitor or treason. When the truth equals treason in a free society, then we're hurting. When telling the truth means people accuse you of being a traitor, the truth is what it is. The truth is the truth. I, I, when I ran for governor, I never used a prepared speech for anything to win.
because I ran under the premise of if you tell the truth, you don't have to have a good memory. And that's true. I always remember I was in my first debate and I sat down and there were like seven candidates then and a, a black woman civilian was sitting to my left and they all walked in, they're carrying books, spin papers, all this stuff. They're all loaded down and I come in with nothing, sat down at the table and this woman had one of those legal pads, you know, with the yellow paper and a pen and she set it on the table and she slid it over to me. And I looked at her and I slid it back. And she said, well, don't you think you'll need that? And that's when I told her, I said, ma'am, when you tell the truth, you don't have to have a good memory. And I'll never forget the smile she gave me and nodded. She got it then, you know, that I, I'll tell the truth. And I made the biggest mistake in the debate you could possibly make in a political debate. I was asked a question on TV in a debate. And I simply said, I don't know. There was like this deadened pause of two seconds and the crowd erupted into cheering and applause. And then I, when that was subsided, I said, but if it's important, I'll learn. Well, I think the people appreciated honesty and I think the people appreciated hearing someone running for office that didn't claim to know everything. And I think that they, they realized at that point that truly honesty was more important to elect somebody. Now, the state of our country today, we're in a mess. And who is to blame? The Democrats and the Republicans. They have been in charge for my entire life. I am an independent, dyed in the wool, true and true. I despise them both equally, not one over the other. I dislike both. I'm an equal opportunity despiser of both our political parties. I agree with what Ralph Nader said. We are a two-party dictatorship in this country. Now, how can we break it? How can we take our country back? See, I not only talk about things, sometimes I give solutions. How can we take our country back today? I believe it's as simple as the nose on your face, if I can use that cliche or another one, but unfortunately we can't see the forest for the trees. How can we do it? Simple. Stop voting for Democrats and Republicans. Remember, voting's not a horse race. You're not there to pick a winner. You're there to vote your heart and conscience for the candidate you believe fits your values the most and who you believe in. And if you do that, you have voted correctly. You have not wasted your vote. Wasting your vote is trying to pick a winner. We all like to be with winners. So we can all brag and say, yeah, I voted for this candidate and he won or she won. But to me, that's not doing your civil duty, your civic duty. It's voting your heart and conscience. And, that, and a way we can start, a way we can immediately start to take our country back. How about this? I'll back up a second. I no longer believe in the third party movement. And I'll tell you why. The Democrats and Republicans have corrupted the system so badly that any third party in which to survive will have to corrupt itself. Well, you've already got a two-headed monster. Why would you want a three-headed one? I now advocate the abolishment of all political parties in the United States of America, turn them into political action committees, which is what they are anyway. Certainly they can endorse, but end it there. 
And on every ballot in the United States of America, here's a simple thing we can do. Remove the party designation and put down only the name. It's too simple. The system's set up for it. If you're conservative, you don't need to know anybody's name. You look for the party. Republican, Republican, Republican. If you're liberal, you don't need to know a name. Democrat, Democrat, Democrat. By only putting down the name would then require you as a voter to educate yourself. What does John Smith stand for? Because you wouldn't have that crutch in there that would tell you conservative or Democrat. And then there's one, and you in California can get away with this stuff because you got that nonsense where you can put everything on the ballot, you know. Uh, The next thing would be simply this. How about on every state, local, and national ballot, we offer the final choice at the bottom that you can vote for none of the above? Now, people laugh at that, but what that truly is is a vote of no confidence in government. That could do volumes, huge. Because imagine for a moment, let's say I'm a Democrat, and I defeated my Republican opponent for Congress, but I lost to none of the above. More people cast their vote for none of the above than what I got. Wouldn't that make them go out there with a change of attitude? You lost to nobody. Yes, you're the congressman or the congresswoman, but you lost to none of the above. And I'm willing to bet right now there are elections in this country where none of the above would prevail. And that's what's wrong with that. A vote of no confidence. That would send a huge message, huge, to every elected official. Imagine these ideas coming from a pro wrestler. I didn't go to college. I didn't, uh, I'm not a political science major and I'm certainly not a lawyer. Imagine that, all these ideas that this pro wrestler comes up with, you know? But anyway, those are a few of the things. And as you look into this book, and I will open up here for questions in a minute because that's usually the best way. I don't want to just lecture, lecture, lecture. I'd like to answer questions and what, what's on your mind. And, uh, but as you look through this book, I hope it does frighten you. I hope that it's a wake-up call. I hope that you uh, will be engaged citizens. Stop being lemmings. Because right now, we're a country full of lemmings. We get marched right off the cliff, and we don't even look left or right. And why? It's the dumbing down of America because of our media. Our media. Our media was supposed to be the fourth branch of government. They were supposed to be the watchdog of the other three to report back to us. Well, they're not anymore. They're in bed with the government. They're the government's mouthpiece now. They're they're no longer a watchdog. Cases in point. What's the top story this last three, four weeks? Charlie Sheen. You can't turn the news on now without hearing a report on Charlie Sheen. Now, Charlie, he's got some problems. I feel bad for him. But... He's hardly deserves but maybe a mention at the end of the news, not a lead story. And what was it a year, year and a half ago? The main story, the death of Anna Nicole Smith. I almost threw up every day. They're doing mobile, sending down mobile reporters outside the hotel. Well, we're down here in wherever she was, the Bahamas or whatever the hell it happened. And we're in front of the hotel where Anna Nicole Smith died. Hey, I was alive in 63 when John Kennedy was assassinated. Anna Nicole Smith got way more press 
in the end than the assassination of our president. Because hers went on and still got legs. I just saw it the other day. Some judge made a ruling to give her house to her boyfriend or something. That's newsworthy. It's like when I was supposed to have a television show on MSNBC, but that's a whole nother matter. Uh, they tried to tell me what I was supposed to cover every day. And and at the time, do you recall, you'll recall, remember the murder you had here where the guy killed his wife out in the boat or whatever it was a couple years ago? Oh, pardon me? Peters, yeah, that murder. Well, they were shoving that down my throat every day to cover that. And I go, wait a minute. There's 10,000 murders a year. Now, that was a tragic murder, but there are 10,000 murders a year, every year. How is this one so important? Now, it might be important to all you Californians because you live here. It's close to you. But go back to Minnesota with me. We have our own murders. Why do we need to know about yours? And yet, Every night, every night, day in and day out. That is the dumbing down of America by our news media. And we're at fault because we accept it. Because we like this titillating journalism. And you know what the downfall was to our news? The show 60 Minutes. Now, listen, hear me out. 60 Minutes, a marvelous show. But here's where it was the downfall. Up until that point in time, pre-60 Minutes, the news departments lost money. So they would make it up in the entertainment division because they felt, well, we'll lose money, but it's our job to inform, right? Along comes 60 minutes. Lo and behold, it goes to number one in the ratings. The bean counters upstairs, the light goes off. You mean we can make money with the news? There was your downfall because from that point on, the news became about making money, not informing you. It became the ratings rather than information to smarten you up. Now you have, and here's the dangerous part. Because of that, you now have the news. They're into creating the news, not into reporting it. And that's very, very dangerous in my opinion. Very dangerous. Um, so it's up to us to be vigilant citizens. Uh, Tom Jefferson said dissension is the greatest form of patriotism, and I believe that, and I endorse that completely. There's nothing wrong with dissenting. There's nothing wrong with holding elected officials' feet to the fire. If you don't, you will get bad government. So I hope you'll read this book. I hope that you'll digest the documents that are in it. I hope you're as shocked as I am about what some of the documents are. And if there's any in particular that you see and would like to ask me about as you look into the book, feel free to do so. I won't go into them now because, you know, reading is supposed to be pleasure and it's supposed to be you doing it. So I'm not going to, unless you ask me specifically, I'm not going to go into the things that are in the book, but I will do this. I opened and closed the book more or less with two quotations. The first quotation comes from my particular favorite president in my whole life, President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And here's what President Kennedy said to us. There is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it. And there is a very grave danger 
that an announced need for increased security will be seized upon by those anxious to expand its meaning to the very limits of official censorship and concealment. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? We're going to keep you safe, right? Then we'll, then I like to finish off also, just to show it runs through our entire country's history. I'll quote Patrick Henry. Most of us remember Patrick Henry as saying, give me liberty or give me death. That was a great quote, you know, brave quote. But he also said this, Patrick Henry, quote, the liberties of a people never were, nor ever will be secure when the transactions of their rulers may be concealed from them. And I think that, you know, those are two real great Americans. And the words they speak are, in my opinion, very true. So on that note, I'd like to say uh, thank you, Google, for having me here. Lunch was terrific. Uh, it's kind of a remarkable company I heard that feeds you. Geez, you're like the Navy. You know, they used to feed me, you know, three hots and a cot every, you know, all the time. And uh, no, actually, I will tell you this. I was at the Naval Amphib Base, Coronado, California. And uh, we won best chow hall for like 11 years in a row in the 11th Naval District. Every Thursday, we would have steak and lobster in the Navy. And, and I was on what they call comrades because commuted ration type thing, because our jobs take us away from the base so often as a SEAL that they pay you money. <clears throat> so you have to eat at the pay to eat at the chow hall <clears throat> when you're there. And because, uh, but it was, I think lunch was 65 cents and you'd get steak and lobster. So that's not a bad price. You know, of course, then again, let's remember this was way back in the early 70s when uh, the economy was much different, but so was my salary. Because when I joined the Navy, initially, I made 122 bucks a month, $61 a paycheck. And I'd blow it that first weekend and then be stuck on the base the rest of the time because, eh, you know, I wasn't very economically sound back then, I guess. So thank you very much. It was a pleasure for me to be here. And uh, now I'll open up for questions. You know, I'll tell you, excuse me, that's a first. No, other than the hand, finally, I've never done a speech where everybody froze and didn't ask a question. Go ahead, sir. Uh, this is kind of a two-part question. The first uh, is... Okay, but give it to me one part at a time. All I've right. been on the road for two weeks. I'm going on about four hours a night every night. I'm dog tired, so slow and easy. Sure, sure. What, what was your motivation to run for governor back when you did? And then the second part is simply in being a governor of the state, what was the one thing you walked away with that you learned the most about how our government works? Okay, uh, my motivation, I'll give you my first, my fun motivation. This is the joke. Uh, there's a gentleman in, in Minnesota by the name, a great businessman by the name of Wheelock Whitney. And I, when I first won governor, I was speaking to a group of businessmen and Wheelock was there. And uh, they asked me the same question, what motivated you to become governor? And I looked right at Wheelock Whitney and I said, well, I was a mayor and it didn't work. 
So I figure if I get to be governor, it will work. Well, Wheelock Whitney happens to be a member of Augusta National, where they play the Masters. And I said, I figured if I won governor, Wheelock Whitney would then take me to Augusta and let me play Augusta, Georgia, which is the heaven of professional golf. And I looked at Wheelock and said, Wheelock, don't force me to have to become president. And uh, he was a man, he burst out laughing and he said, you're going to Augusta. And sure enough, he, he was good enough to take me there and I got to play Augusta National. And if you're a golfer, that's the same, I think, as going to heaven. You know, now on a serious note, what inspired me to become governor was something really interesting. Let's move back, if we may, to 1998, when our economies were robust. Remember that? Interest was nothing. Everybody was making huge money. Well, the state of Minnesota was in such fiscal shape then, they were getting budget surpluses. In other words, they did their budget, but because the economy was so robust, they were bringing in more than what they budgeted for. Well, the one year, guess what they did? They spent it. They thought they were kids in a candy store. They thought, whoa, we brought in more money than what we budgeted for. That means we can go buy extra stuff. Well, I was outraged. I was doing talk radio, and I said, wait a minute. If they brought in more than what their budget needed, then that money should be returned to the taxpayers. So I basically ran on that. I said, you know, I was doing talk radio, and I was so angry, I said, maybe I should run for governor. Woof. Then you box yourself in a corner, and of course, on talk radio, if you lose your credibility, you're nothing. And so I kind of forced myself. I've, I had to run, and I can honestly say pre-9-11, we had three more robust economy years, and I gave back tax rebates to every citizen of Minnesota. They named them Jesse Checks. And I, and I did it even over the, uh, you'd think the Republicans would have gone with me all the way, but they wanted it to be an income tax rebate. Well, an income tax rebate means you got to declare it, which means then it's part of your income, which means the federal government's going to take a third of it. And I thought, this isn't the Fed's money, it's ours. So I did it and was successful in a sales tax rebate because you can't deduct a sales tax, so therefore they can't take the money. So when you got your check, you could spend it. Now there is a true stimulus package, not the bullshit you're getting today. The stimulus package, if you want to get send the money to the people, the people will spend it, that will spur the economy. Like uh, I met an old woman, elderly woman, and she came up to me and she told me, Governor, she said, thank you for that Jesse check. I said, you're welcome, ma'am. She said, you know what I did with it? I said, what? She said, I needed a new lawnmower. And I went down and bought it and I named my lawnmower Jesse. And I was, I was very flattered over that, you know, this elderly woman who wanted a new, uh, you know, powered lawnmower for her backyard. Because, you know, contrary to L.A., we in Minnesota do have backyards. They have grass and trees, too. I got a gig in California occasionally, you know. So uh, that was what really inspired me to run was that budget to where they didn't give back the surplus of money to the people. It was our money, and they were spending it like kids in a candy store. So next question. Right here. Well, well, well actually, we'll go closer to the mic. I'll get to everyone, but we'll try to keep it close to the mic. Yes, ma'am. Have you ever considered running for a presidential election in 2020? President? Yes. I've considered it. I've thought about it. 
Um, and I'll be very honest, as an independent, the cards are against you because you all, you'd you think it was a universal thing. If you're running for president, every state to qualify should be the same, correct? But it's not. They do that on purpose. Every state, you have to jump through different hoops to get ballot access. And, by, and when you try to get it, the Democrats and Republicans will bring lawsuits then to tie you up in court so that by the time you get through with court, the election has already passed you by. That's the system they've created to keep anyone else out of the game. It's like playing a football game and they get to be the referees and they can also change the rules at halftime. You know, that's what you're up against. Right in... Well, other than that fiasco, unbelievable in Alaska where it worked, I have never, ever seen a write-in candidate ever win. But Alaska did give me a slight ray of hope because it happened up there. But let's remember, those are Alaskans, and there's not exactly as many of them as there are Californians or the rest of the country. Smaller numbers, you'd have a better chance. The bigger numbers you're dealing with, the more difficult it would be. Now, saying that, though, the libertarians which I am kind of a libra I like to refer to myself as libertarian small L, not capital, because the true libertarian believes there is there should be no government. That's an anarchist. I understand that there should be at least some government, that government does have a role. Uh, the other part of that question of will I run is this, being president's an oxymoron. What I mean by that is that you stand for freedom, but you yourself have none. When you hold those jobs, you give up your freedom. It's gone. And I like my freedom. I like living in Mexico now because down there, I'm just a big gringo. Nobody pay, you know, other than being a big guy, they'll look at me, but they don't know who I am, you know? And I enjoy that right now after the career I've had. So it would require me to have to wanna, as I like to refer to it, it would require me to wanna go back to jail. Now, not saying I won't do it, and I'll tell you something else, honestly, before I put my butt on the line, this country better show me it's worth it. You better show me it's worth it this time. I've already done four years as a mayor, four years as a governor, and six years in the Navy. That's 14 years of my life I've given to the public. And to do that job, I need to know it's worth it. And right now, the people of this country are not showing me that. They're starting to. You know, I like the protests in Wisconsin, and I like how things are stirring up. But in order for me to win, we got to think revolutionary. In order for me to win, you got to be ready to elect Che Guevara. Because I will change things if I won. What would I do? I'll tell you what I would do. First thing I would do, I would cut defense spending, which is something... I don't know if you can win off that because they use fear on you. That, oh, if you cut defense spending, we're all going to get killed. We're all going to be. Well, I would close every base we have throughout the world, and I would bring our young men and women home and back to our own country, and we would defend our country from here. We wouldn't be colonizing anymore or creating this empire. We're following the Roman Empire right now. So that's what, and that would cut spending. If you're truly going to balance the budget, you can't do it without cutting defense spending because that's the biggest thing out there. And we don't, how many times can we blow up the world? We've got technology. You're at Google here. 
We got technology now and the weapons we don't need. Why do we have 50,000 troops in Germany, 50,000 troops in Korea, 50,000 troops in Japan? Seems to me those wars were over 50 years ago. Why do we still have troops there? So, you know, those are a few of the things I would do. I would, you'd call me radical, I guess, because I would not be doing what mainstream does. I'm so disappointed in Barack Obama. I really thought uh, he's a dynamic speaker, but I really thought there's no change. I can't tell the difference between him and Bush, just that he can read a teleprompter, <laughs> you know. But other than that, I don't see any change. And so also it's difficult. He's an incumbent, and as an independent, that's tough. You're better off when the incumbent leaves and when the elections open, which would be 2016. And by then, I'll be that much older, and I don't know if I would have the energy at that point to want to do the job. But it's hard to beat an incumbent, people, very hard. When I ran for governor, it was because there was no incumbent governor, which opened it up for me to, to do that. So next question. And you can go uh, on any topic. I'm not, you know. I've uh, also got two questions, and I'll just give them both to you at once because I'm pretty sure you can uh, remember the first one. All right. Um, first one is, what color is your Porsche? And the, um, the second one is, so you've got 63 documents in here. Yep. Um, I'm sure there were many more. Do you have any examples of what other documents you would have liked to have included? Uh, not really. It was tough enough doing the 63. We chose 63 because that was the year John Kennedy was assassinated and murdered. So we thought that was a good number. Uh, I, I don't want to go into any. Th these are enough. Digest these. And what color is my Porsche? It's, uh, it's like a, I don't, a, a lapis blue metallic, which is that, I had to think a minute because they got those names for every color, uh, which is a very deep, dark blue. And then I got the be beige interior with it and i got the most wood you could get I, I you know on the interior and that was sick really i wasn't going to get it at first till i came home and i told my wife and she looked at me and said this is your dream car she goes don't hold back get everything on it you want well the wood alone because it's all hand carved it runs across the top that around all the speakers the wood alone was 10 grand and i thought that's obscene you know, in reality of the world, you know, that's, that's pretty bizarre, but you know, what the hell money's made to spend. And also remember this on that note, the economy, when all you hear about is cut spending, cut spending, cut spending. I got news for you, people. If we don't spend, there is no economy. The economy is based upon spending. Spending creates jobs. You have to buy things. You have to have money moving. If we all cut everything, now, now, don't get me wrong, there are, government does and is in places it shouldn't be. But think of that when you get brainwashed on, oh, cut spending, cut spending. The economy is based upon spending. That's what makes it work. You buy things, the money, that's what creates jobs. Spending creates jobs. Why do you think they always renew unemployment? That's because unemployment, if you're on unemployment, you spend every cent of it. That spurs the economy and starts to create jobs so then you're not on unemployment anymore. Think of it. How other way can there be jobs if there's not money being spent? And besides, you can't take it with you, people. That's what I always say. You know, you come into the world naked, you leave with it naked. 
You can't take a dollar with you. Spend the damn stuff. Enjoy it. You work hard for it. That's the fruits of your labor. But then, you know, make sure that your kids and things like that are taken care of. But buy stuff. What the hell? You can't do nothing with that paper. Substitute it in the bathroom, maybe. But uh, other than that, you spend it. That's what spurs the economy. Next question. So what do you think that the government should do? What are the important things that the government does in our lives? What should well, what they do? Should they do? Um, well, I'll put it to you this way. Well, let's go to health care for a minute. Uh, that's always a cantankerous. Now they've labeled it Obamacare. To me, it's a human right. If you're sick, you should be able to go to the doctor. If we weren't spending all our money on these wars, we'd have more money. We could have health care three times over. You don't hear a word about that. It's fine to spend money to kill people. But health care, oh, my goodness. And for these hypocrites in Washington, now I'm talking the Republicans, who, who are blaming Obama, Obamacare, oh, we're going to repeal it. Well, why don't they start repealing it by giving up their government-run health care? The Senate and the Congress has government-run health care. It's provided by the government for them. They want you not to have it while they go to the bank with it. You don't see any of them saying, you know, I'm a stand-up type person. I'm going to give up my health care being a con congressman and senator for me and my family to set an example. Do you hear that? Anybody know of one of them doing that? Then what are they? They're hypocrites because they're telling you. And then I'll flip it a little farther. If government-run health care is so terrible, then are we screwing over the military again? Because the military's had government-run health care since World War I. So I guess we're sticking it to the military again, giving them a substandard thing. But all I know is my dad 